Thank you for that good song. Certainly, it's a privilege of mine to be with you here in Altamont. Uh, my mind goes back to, um, oh my, better than 25 years ago, I was here with the praise singers. And uh, back in the days, uh, my early days at Penview Bible Institute. And uh, so that was the only time until tonight. But it's a privilege to be able to be with you. And um, we've had a couple of students from your church, Esther and uh, Rebecca, uh, been students uh, back there some years ago, and, uh, uh, and now uh, graduates of ours here serving as your pastor and family, and certainly it's an honor to be able to be with them. Well, I trust that our time together is going to be blessed of God. And, uh, you know, I just want you to know I'm a common, ordinary man, Okay. I know that uh, there for a number of years, for many years, I was president of Penview, and, uh, but I retired. I guess that's all right, isn't that okay? Well, I retired, and, and yet I'm not retired. I'm retired from the school, but I'm pastoring a small church and been doing evangelism, and uh, so it's, uh, uh, I'm not retired, but just retired from the school, and Brother Durkee, uh, the school's in, his, in, in good hands, and he's at the helm, and... Uh, and God is helping them, and we're grateful for that. And I think he was just here a year ago. Am I right? Yes. And um, so, uh, but uh, it's a privilege to be with you. And again, I trust that you'll pray that God will help us. If there's anything I want is God's will. Uh, I'm not here to, uh, uh, to do anything other than to try to please God. And I believe that if we will earnestly seek the face of God, I believe that God will do for us just exactly what we need to have done. God knows the need of every individual. God knows uh, every service and, and who's going to be present and what the, uh, the pressing need would be. So if you'll pray for us, I'll do my best to try to mind God. And we'll be praying that God will give us that kind of leadership that uh, we can be effective in this revival. These days go by so fast. And, uh, you know, from a Tuesday to Sunday, uh, and uh, that's, uh, but now that's a long time for me to be going from my wife. <clears throat> We've been separated from each other for quite a bit these last several weeks because of revival meetings. When I was pastoring <clears throat> a number of years ago, we were very seldom ever separated. When I went to the school, we had a three-week trek that I was traveling with the uh, praise singers, and uh, so that was the longest I was ever, and that was a pretty rough time. And it was not only rough on me, it was rough on, on uh, my wife, but it was rough on my, my daughter. And uh, we only have one. You know James Plank. Okay. Do you know his wife? Well, she's just a little girl. She's not very big. She got four feet, 11 and a half inches. She's my daughter. And uh, she wanted to get as tall as her mother, who's five feet. But she fell a little short. But uh, it was tough on her when I was going that long. But uh, now they're pastoring the church at Beavertown. Been there for a number of years and really only live not too many miles from us, probably about five miles from us. So I get to see my daughter quite often, and that's just all right. Get to talk to her quite often, too. Tonight, I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. Thank the Lord for traveling mercies today as we left early from our home, get to the airport, and planes were on time arriving. They weren't on time leaving, but they were on time arriving. So they must have put the pedal to the metal, but uh, they made it, and we thank the Lord that we're here. Praise God. Chapter 18, I want to begin with verse number 41, and I want to read down through the end of the chapter. Tonight, I want to speak to you uh, on the subject of prayer. I believe tonight, I believe in prayer. I have proven God over and over and over again. The years of, and not just the years that I was at Penview, but the years I was at Penview, I've seen so many 
marvelous answers to prayer. And, uh, and I believe in prayer. And tonight, I want to speak to you on that subject. The subject actually holding on in prayer. Would you stand, please, for the reading of the word? <clears throat> Beginning with verse number 41. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot, and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for the privilege to be in revival service tonight. We thank you, Lord, that we can be with this fine congregation here in Kansas. Lord, I believe that they've been looking forward to revival with anticipation of entertaining your divine presence. And Lord, we believe that we can have your presence if we will be obedient to thee. And Lord, you know just exactly what needs to be done in this revival. You know the heart, you know the needs, you know the individuals that are outside that need to be brought in. Lord, you just know everything. And I pray tonight, O God, that thou would help us. Would you give us the kind of leadership, give us the kind of anointing tonight that will make this message effective as we endeavor to preach it. O God, help us some way to get a hold of this truth. For Lord, I believe that if we... The people of God will pray. We can see great miracles today. And now, Father, for all that is accomplished, we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There are just a few more verses I want to read. You're welcome to turn to that if you want to, but back in the book of James, chapter 5, James says, In the latter part of verse number 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias, or Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Elijah lived in a day when his nation was in deep trouble spiritually. They were under the leadership of a king by the name of Ahab. Ahab was the most wicked of all the kings up until that particular time, had led Israel into sin and uh, into deeper sin than they had ever gone before and and caused them to turn uh, their worship toward Baal. And uh, Elijah, the prophet, the man of God, went to Ahab and told Ahab that God was going to shut up the heavens and there would be no rain. Now, I still believe that God will honor obedience, but I also believe that God will pour judgment upon disobedience. I believe that. And it's evident here in the scripture that when the nation of Israel was uh, uh, rebellious and, and turned away from God, God brought judgment upon the land. When the heavens uh, dried up and there, were, there was no rain, God took care of Elijah and directed uh, Elijah there to the brook Cherith. And there he was fed by the ravens and he drank of the brook. 
How pleasant do you think it was for him to be in the wilderness? You know, we look at these great men, great men like Elijah. But, you know, uh, if I could fast forward just uh, a short time after this great victory that Elijah had on Mount Carmel, Elijah found himself where? But under the juniper tree. There are great men that we have seen and we have heard their testimonies and, and we've seen God work in their lives. But you know, uh, they're just as human as what you and I are. Elijah was no different than we. But uh, uh, God promised to take care of him and he did. He led him out there by the brook and fed him by the ravens. I just don't know how many would have been glad to eat the meat that was delivered by the ravens. I just don't think it would meet the Department of Agriculture's standards. I just don't think so. And, uh, but nevertheless, Elijah survived it. And uh, because it was all done by God, it was ordained by God, and he was able to drink of the brook, God supplied. And thank God. And you know the thing that stands out to me? God knew exactly where Elijah was. And God knows where you are tonight. God knows exactly where you are. You might even be in a wilderness of some kind, uh, going through some kind of a, a spiritual battle. I don't know. But God knows where you are. And if he needs to send a raven to you, I'm glad he has them at his command. Thank God. And as we, as we noticed that God had taken care of him there by the brook, um, and then when the brook dried up, God led him to Zarephath. Now, Zarephath is in the land of Zidon. This is actually, the, they tell us, the place that Jezebel was from. God led him into the very land where Jezebel, the, the queen, the wicked king, uh, queen was from. And God led him to a, uh, to a place, a widow woman's house, where the cruise of oil was uh, nearly empty and the barrel of meal was nearly gone. And uh, he asked for uh, a cake to be made for him. She said, I'm just gathering some sticks that I can make a cake for my, for my boy and myself. We're going to eat it and then we're going to die. But Elijah says, make one for me first. And she, by faith, notice the faith, by faith, she made the cake for Elijah. And God performed a miracle. I don't believe that the cruise of oil just filled up to the top. I just don't think so. And I don't think the barrel of meal uh, filled to the top. So that there was an abundance, but I believe, this is my own belief, every time she went to make another cake, there was just enough meal and there was just enough oil. I want you to know tonight, God is still God and He can stretch the meal and He can stretch the, uh, the oil. Thank God. And there's just always enough. And by the way, there's always enough grace when we feel like we've got to the end of ourselves and there's just no more, just no way we can make it through, I want you to know God still has enough grace for us. Thanks be to the Lamb of God. Well, after this experience, now God directs Elijah back to Ahab and um, he meets Obadiah on the way and uh, through him they get Ahab and uh, Ahab and Elijah have quite a conversation. And Ahab looks to Elijah and says, you're to blame. Elijah looks back at the king and says, oh no, thou art the trouble. You're the problem. And Elijah said, it's time that Israel makes the decision who they're going to serve. And they agreed that they would go to uh, the top of Mount Carmel. And then there they would pray and the God that answered by fire was the God that they were going to serve. You know the story. I don't need to go into it in full detail, but there's a few things I want to mention. First of all, uh, <clears throat> the men of Baal, uh, they prayed, but there was no answer. There could not be an answer because he was just a little g-o-d. He was not the God. And, uh, <clears throat> but then Elijah said, all right, guys, it's now my turn. And Elijah First of all, he prepared, uh, he prepared the sacrifice and the altar. He rebuilt the altar. Now, revival time often is a time of rebuilding an altar. Maybe some stones of the altar that's been removed, been taken away. 
Maybe some things along the way that once had been put on the altar, we've taken off. God's not going to move the way we need Him to move until the altar is rebuilt. It's repaired. And, and uh, when it, the things are put back on the altar, then God will honor and God will bless in our midst. They uh, laid out the sacrifice and wetted it down because they were depending totally on a miracle. You know, when God comes on the scene, God never comes and wastes time. I've seen some of the greatest services I've ever in in my life, and I've been in a lot of wonderful, wonderful services, but some of the greatest services I've ever in in my life have been on the campus of Penview. God would come time and time and time again. Whether it was revival time, whether it was a chapel time, God would come. And I would remind the students this, God never comes to waste time. He comes for a purpose. There's a need in that service. Somebody needs His presence in a very special way. And do you know that's all done by a miracle? We don't sing it up. We don't work it up. We don't testify it up. And all of those have their place. But to see the miracle of God to be performed in our midst, that's exactly what we need to see. And... Then after the altar was rebuilt and the sacrifice laid out and then all the water poured on the sacrifice, then Elijah began to pray. The 63-word prayer that Elijah prayed and the fire fell. And um, I was in Israel back in two different years. I think it was 2008 and 2010. On my first trip to Israel, we had a guide by the name of Ami. He was from the tribe of Levi. We were up on Mount Carmel. In fact, before we got to Mount Carmel, we were traveling north along the Mediterranean Sea. And, and we stopped at a place and there were some radio antennas that were uh, uh, mounted there right next to the, uh, to the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. And our guide said, now I want you to take notice of these antennas and remember them. I said, and course, yes, we would try to do so. We went from that location and circled on around and went on over to uh, uh, Mount Carmel. And uh, uh, there, while on the mountain, the guide said, now, remember, when we came up along the Mediterranean, you remember the, the antennas? He said, now, if you look to the west, you can see those antennas. He said, now, if you look to the east, you can see the mountains of Nazareth. He said, Mount Carmel was the highest place of elevation in that whole area. And he said, God took Elijah to the highest place so that everybody there in Israel could see the firefall. Well, thank God. I believe God still wants to cause the fire to fall until a many, many people will witness the fact that God is on the scene. And the fire fell there on the mount. And Elijah slew the 850 prophets uh, of Baal and of the grove and a great victory. And Elijah was rejoicing. But now, now there needed to be some rain again. And um, when Ahab went to feast, Elijah went to pray. When he went to pray, he put his face between his knees. The posture is not the important thing. But I believe what it speaks to us and tells us is he was totally focused on prayer. He put his... Now, I don't think I could get my face between my knees. There was a time I used to when I was a little smaller than I am now. I never did get very tall, but I got a little heavier than I used to be. But uh, uh, he got his face down between his knees and... um, That meant his focus was off everything else, but he was focused on prayer. And uh, he didn't look at the circumstances. He didn't look to see how dry it was. He didn't look to see if there were any clouds in the sky. But Elijah took it by the job. He was going to pray until the heavens gave forth rain. You know, prayer is work. It's a real sacrifice, 
to spend time in prayer. Because, <coughs> pardon me, Jesus said that we need to enter into the closet. That's not a literally a closet. But again, it's shutting out the things of the world. Isn't it amazing when you go to the place of prayer, all the things you think of that you need to do? My time, my time for praying typically is in the early morning. And uh, I would be praying and, oh my, this would come to mind, I need to do this. And literally, there were times I stopped and made notes, I need to do this. That's when I would think of it. And I think the enemy used, those, uh, used that time to, uh, uh, to get my attention off of, uh, of praying. But uh, <clears throat> Elijah, when he went to prayer, he recognized that there was real sacrifice in the place of prayer because he took it by the job. Tonight, I'd like to look at the seven times that Elijah prayed. For he prayed seven times. Each time he would send his servant to look to see if there were any clouds in the sky. Elijah himself never looked up. He kept his focus. I will look at seven times that Elijah prayed. First of all, Elijah prayed earnestly. He prayed earnestly. Earnestly means he felt the, uh, the, the sincerity of uh, his prayer. He was zealous in the place of prayer. He felt the weight of responsibility on him. For it was he who prayed that the heavens would not uh, give forth rain. And now it was time for him to pray that God would open the heavens and send rain. God had sent the fire. Now he must also send the rain. And uh, therefore, he prayed earnestly that it, would, that it would rain. I believe that in the place of prayer, when we pray earnestly, we must get our eyes off of the negative reports that would be so prone to uh, discourage us in the place of prayer. There have been times individuals have said to me, there's just, there's just no use. This will never work out, but God. It'll never work out, but God. When the, uh, the spies went into the land of Canaan and they uh, spied out the land and they came back and 10 of them said that, uh, uh, yes, it's a good land that flowed with milk and honey, but uh, there are giants there and we're just as grasshoppers uh, in comparison to the, to the giants. Uh, they were so negative until it caused the people to lose heart. Tonight, I believe we need to lift up our eyes and look onto the heavens because it's the God, uh, the, the living God that we are praying to, and He is able to do all things. Somebody said, we need prayer warriors who pray as though God is God and as though Satan is Satan. Somebody else said, prayer is more than a cry of earnest desire when suddenly faced with a crisis need. You know, the first thing that happens even in our nation, you know, some kind of a tragedy, terrible tragedy, over the weekend there in Pittsburgh, it was reference drawn to it tonight from our sister back here, but uh, Pittsburgh, there in the Jewish synagogue where about 12 people, I think, were killed. And, uh, uh, you know, and, you know, then there were people that say, we need to pray. But our nation needs to pray other than just at times of tragedy. We need to pray other than just when things aren't going right. Prayer needs to be the common uh, practice of our life. But so often it's easy for us to just kind of brush aside the time of prayer because things are going along so smoothly. And then I think God allows some things to come our way to wake us up to the fact we need to pray. So prayer is more than a cry of earnest desire when suddenly faced with a crisis need. Spurgeon said, He who knows how to overcome with God in prayer has heaven and earth at his disposal. And I believe that tonight. I believe that we, uh, we uh, can realize that we can, be, we can overcome with God 
through the place of prayer. And I believe tonight that we must prevail in prayer in situations where God's will is thwarted and where Satan is delaying and blocking God's cause. A number of years ago, I was much, much younger than I am now. It was my second church that I went to pastor. I was, I was asked to make this change and go to this church because this church was in bad conditions, literally. The people were so at odds with each other, they could not even agree on, uh, on a pastor. They had different votes and they couldn't get enough of a, of a, uh, a majority to, uh, to, uh, to have a pastor come. And uh, why they ever, the general board ever asked me to go as a young man, I was 21 years old at the time, to go into a mess like this, I don't know, but my general superintendent asked me, and the, actually the whole board asked me if I would go. I prayed about it, and, and God gave me a promise and said, it is I, be not afraid. That was the promise. The very first night that I was there as pastor, literally, some of the people outside the church got to hollering at each other at the close of the service very first night. It was close enough that I could drive from where I lived to the church for that service that night, and uh, uh, we hadn't moved into the parsonage yet, and we spent some time with a couple of families after the service to see if we could kind of, you know, mend some, some uh, hurts and all those uh, bad things that had taken place. And, and on the way home, my wife looked at me as she was driving because it was late. I was still working in a cabinet factory for just a few more days until I was finishing out, until I was actually going to make the, uh, the physical move to the parsonage. She said, honey, do you really think we ought to do this? Do you think we ought to go here to pastor? I said, you know, it sounds stupid, but I feel like this is God. But it was a battle. We moved in on a Monday and started revival on a Thursday with an evangelist who some of the people wanted to be their pastor. We got partway through that revival, and the revival got so tight. You probably have experienced some times like that. It got so tight, and the stress level was high. The tension was great. We had one victory on those Thursday night. Back in those days, you had 10-day revivals, okay? And it was on Thursday night, and uh, we had a, uh, a convert, and thank God she's in victory today yet, and I say hallelujah. And... Uh, we got down to the last day of the revival. We were sitting at the dining room table eating our Sunday noon meal together. The evangelist and his wife was there with my wife and me. And our little girl, she was two years of age at the time. And uh, the evangelist said to me, he said, Brother Zekman, there's some, there was a, a letter written by one of the families in the church and, and written to somebody else and, and to another family. And, and uh, there's another family now that wants to be involved, and they would like to get this letter, and they want me to come down to their house after church. And remember, they wanted him to be their pastor also, okay? So the tension was great. He said, what shall I do? I'll be honest with you. I was so young, I didn't know what to tell him. I said, sir, you're just going to have to do whatever you think is best. That afternoon, he and his wife went to bed to rest. But my wife and I went to prayer. We prayed through the afternoon. Long about 4, 4.30 in the afternoon, the phone rang. On the other end of the line was a lady of the church who received this nasty letter. I had never read the letter. They, nobody had ever shared it with me, and, and that's good they didn't. But they had never shared it with me, and I just knew that there had been a letter written. And, uh, and she said, so-and-so uh, wants to have this letter tonight, and they want the evangelist to come to their place after church. What do you think I ought to do with this letter? I said, sister, the Bible says that if your hand offends, you cut it off. That letter has offended you. You need to get rid of it. That lady burned that letter. Thank God. We went to church that night, the evangelist preached the message, again, it was tight, and he gave an altar call, there was one lady came to the altar, he turned the service over to me, and, and I, I just felt like God 
help me to be able to exhort the people. And there was a number of other people came to the altar. In fact, it was probably about seven or eight came to the altar. And we had a wonderful time of prayer. Wonderful time. At the close of the service, my wife, and I wish my wife could have come. She didn't get to come in this meeting. But uh, she said to the people, she said, I think it's time we stop discussing the problems. I think it's time to stop talking about it. And she had a way, she always had a way of, of talking to the people and, and, uh, and, and just giving some words of admonition that, that were received well. And on the way out of church that night, the one family that wanted this letter didn't even know it was burned at this time. They didn't even know it yet. Said to the evangelist, Sister Zekman said, we should stop, stop talking about the problem. There's no need for you to come to our house. I, say, I said, thank God. Thank God. Do you know what made the difference? It wasn't because of Brother and Sister Zekman, that, that who we were, but it was because of prayer that God moved the heart of that individual that had that letter to call us on the phone and set the stage. God even sent another preacher by their house who had been a former pastor a number of years before that, a good friend of mine, and helped her burn that letter. Do you realize tonight we serve a God that's able to do all things and move the heart of an individual? If we will but pray and pray earnestly. And I believe that tonight. We must pre prevail in prayer for lives that are ensnared and blinded by sin. We had a student a number of years ago. Actually, her father was on my staff. But she was a rebellious girl. She was in high school. Different times he would stop in at my office and say, Brother Zekman, he said, you know, it just really bothers me with my daughter. My daughter is just rebellious and she's just, I don't know how long I can stay and teach. I said, I'll do my best to work with you. We prayed, they prayed, and other people prayed that God would get a hold of this girl. Now, when I say she was rebellious, I mean she was rebellious. And she got involved in some things that I, I will never, nobody's ever told me ever to the depth of the things that she got involved in. Or I probably, if, uh, what I surmise, I probably would have never kept her as a student. I don't say how I could have. But they never came forth and told me. But I'll never forget the time that God got a hold of her heart. That girl made such a tremendous change from being a rebellious girl to a girl whose attitude totally changed. And as a pastor's wife tonight, thank God. I'm sure I'm talking to individuals tonight who has loved ones that are not saved. It might be children. I have an unsaved brother. He's 79 years old. And I just talked the other day. He said, I'm just not as strong as I used to be. I know he's not. His health is, he, he's been failing some. He's been a strong man, a hard worker. One of my cousins just died suddenly just uh, two weeks ago tomorrow. It'll be two weeks. And my brother uh, called me on the phone. I was, in a, I was in Michigan in a revival. Called me on the phone and told me my, our cousin died. And, and I tried to get a few words in to my brother's mind that we need to be ready. And boy, he just changed the subject just that quick. But I want you to know I pray for him every day. Do I believe that the Lord's going to save him? I believe that with all of my heart. And I believe tonight we need to pray earnestly. It was Elijah who prayed earnestly. He took it by the job. It wasn't just a bedtime prayer. Thank God we can pray before we go to bed. Thank God we can pray when before we eat our meals. Thank God for that. But you know, I believe God wants us to get alone with Him at some other times. And I don't know what works into your schedule, but I believe that if we'll pray, it'll move the heart of God. Amen. I believe that. I can't understand 
How I just preached to my people back home on Sunday night on the subject of intercessory prayer. I'm honest with you. I don't understand how our prayers can move and even as Moses changed the heart of God. When God was going to destroy the nation of Israel and raise up a new people, Moses said, if you do that, O Lord, if you're going to blot their name out, blot mine out also. I don't understand that, but I know what happened. I know what happened. Abraham, as he was praying for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and God said, I don't think, the essence I'm paraphrasing here, it's not right for us to not let Abraham know what's going to happen. And what did Abraham do? He prayed and said, if you can find 50, if you can find 45, 40, 30, 20, even 10 righteous, would you spare the city? And God honored the prayer of Abraham. No, they couldn't find 10. But the point I'm making is God honored the prayer. And I believe tonight Again, we are no different than an Abraham. We're no different than an Elijah. We're no different than a Moses because the same God is the same God of yesterday, today, and forever. He's our God, and I believe tonight He will hear our cry. I believe that with my whole heart. We need to pray, prevail in prayer for revival in the church, for spiritual, numerical growth and a worldwide advancement of the gospel. Do you believe that God could move over this whole world with, the, with, the, with the, uh, the message of the gospel? I do believe that because He's God. We so many times are so nearsighted, and we just think of all just the here and now, but I believe that God has great things He wants to do if we will but just pray. Well, I'm only on point number one, and it's about time to quit. Will you stay with me for a little bit yet? Point number two. He not only prayed earnestly, but he prayed confidently. He prayed confidently because he knew all of his sins had been forgiven. He was in the right relationship with God. We can't pray very confidently if there's a, something that's unconfessed between us and God. We can't pray confidently if we're walking behind light. We can't pray confidently if we're not being obedient to God and God's speaking to us about something. We can't pray confidently. But when we are walking in the light and we're saying yes to Jesus, I believe we can pray confidently because we're right in the sight of God. Number three, he prayed confidently because he was in the right relationship with his fellow man. Isn't it good to be in the right relationship with your fellow man? Amen? Yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah. <clears throat> Not at odds with each other. But if we are, it's pretty hard to pray confidently. But when we know that there's, we have a conscience void of offense between God and man, we can pray confidently. Number four. He prayed confidently because he knew it was the will of God. I don't believe Elijah had to pray, Oh God, if it is your will, would you send rain? The fire had already fallen on the mountain. The 63-word prayer that Elijah prayed was a prayer that touched the glory world and God answered by fire. And I believe that Elijah knew that God wanted to send the rain, but he still needed to pray. And he prayed confidently because he knew it was God's will. We never have to ask God if it's his will to save that unsaved soul. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Number five, he prayed definitely. He knew what he was praying for. The burden of his heart caused him to pray definitely. He was, he, he was specific in what he prayed for. There was a pastor's daughter who had rebelled and left home and was gone for some time. And as the congregation gathered in this one particular prayer meeting night for their routine prayer meeting, one of the ladies of the church <clears throat> said that she felt that they should spend some extra time in that service to pray for the pastor's daughter. 
The pastor's daughter's name was Christy. They, didn't, they, they just simply stopped whatever else was planned in the service, and they went to prayer. It wasn't a three- or five-minute prayer or a ten-minute prayer. They prayed until they touched God. Thirty-two hours later, Christy came home. When she came home, she said to her daddy, she said, Daddy, I have sinned, and I want you to forgive me. You know, Daddy was ready to do that. Daddy was ready. But then she said, Who prayed for me? She said, Just about 32 hours ago, God spoke to me and got my attention. Somebody prayed for me, and her daddy relayed the story of what took place that night in prayer meeting. I'm trying to encourage you tonight. There's power through prayer. There's power if we'll pray definitely. I believe we need to pray, pray specifically. Number six, he prayed courageously. He asked for what seemed to be impossible. It had rained for such a long time. In the minds of some, they wondered if it would ever rain again. And he asked for something that seemed to be impossible. I like that song. Nothing is impossible when we put our trust in God. Hallelujah. Tonight, the prayer that you're praying is not impossible with God. Hallelujah. And last of all, tonight, he prayed persistently. He continued to pray when there were no signs of an answer. His servant would come back from looking toward the Mediterranean Sea. Elijah would say, do you see any signs? He, every time he'd say, no, go again. He came back the second time, no, go again. The third time, no. Go the fourth time, no. Go the fifth time, no. Go the sixth time, no. I don't know how many times Elijah would have sent him, but the seventh time. And he said, I see a cloud as of a man's hand. And I believe that's talking about the smallness. I believe that's what it's talking I don't think it has anything to do with the shape, but I think it's the size. And Elijah says what? Get up, there's the sound of abundance of rain. Hallelujah. I believe God wants to show us a cloud in the sky. Yes, it might only be the size of a man's hand, but I believe that our faith would rise and say, I believe that there's a sound of abundance of rain because God has given us His sign. Hallelujah. There was a young man in college, Bible college, some years ago. He didn't have much money. Many Bible college students don't have much money. I've seen that. This boy was in class, and the requirement was that every day they had to wear a sport coat or a suit coat. Well, you know what happens when you wear the same garment day after day after day. It begins to wear. And the stitching in the sleeve of his jacket came loose. In fact, it came completely off. And he went to his dorm room and he got a needle and got some thread. And he sewed that sleeve back into his jacket. He went back to class the next day. While sitting in class, that stitching came out. And his sleeve just slid down his arm. He said, I was so embarrassed. I got up and I walked out of the classroom. Students actually laughed and made fun. That's pitiful, but they did. He said, I got up and I walked out of the classroom. He said, I went to my dorm room. And he said, oh God. If you can't take care of me here in Bible college... You can't take care of me when I'm out there in the field. I need some suits. 
Later that day, a phone call came in. The dean of men was summoned to the call, took it. On the other end of the line was a lady, says she needed to talk to so-and-so. He went and got this young man. The young man went to the phone. The lady on the, on the other end of the line said, You're, you knew my husband, my husband died, and uh, I need to clean out some clothes. Could you use some? He said, I sure could. She said, come over. He said, I'll be right there. He said, I went to her house. Said she laid me back into where his closet was and opened the doors and there was a whole rack full of suits. She said, if you can use these, I'm going to give them to you. He said, I can use them. He never took time to fit them on. He just held his hands out like this, his arms out like this. And she started taking the suits off the rack and laying suits on his outstretched arms until he was loaded down with suits. And he carried those suits back to campus. He went to his dorm room. Every one of those suits fit him perfectly. He said, I went to class the next day. He said, I was strutting. He said, I had a new suit on. The next day after that, I had another new suit on. And the next day after that, I had another new suit on. He said, I didn't have to wear them over and over. He said, I could go a number of days with a different suit on every day. Do you know why? God saw his need. God saw where he was. And God supplied the need. I believe tonight that if we will pray, we will earnestly pray. I believe that God will answer prayer. I close with this. I hesitate to say this, but I feel like I should. Back a few years ago, I was praying one morning. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to ask me for a million dollars. That's not a little bit of money. I want you to ask me for a million dollars. I said, Lord, would you give Penview Bible Institute a million dollars? And that was the burden of my prayer. Oh God, give us a million dollars. I didn't share it with anyone for a little while. And one day I shared it with a, some fellow administrators. And they latched on to it. Said, we will pray with you. To make a long story short, over the period of the next several months, God supplied over $300,000 in cash. God gave us a farm in the state of Virginia. Somebody called me on the phone and said, I'd like to come by and I'd like to talk to you. I said, come on. He said on the front porch of my house, he said, I want to buy a farm, but I want to give it to Penview Bible Institute. He said, it's going to cost $330,000. He bought that farm. It's in the name of Penview Bible Institute today. That put us up over 600000 I received a phone call from a, a businessman that same year, just a few days before Christmas. He asked me how I was doing, what I was doing, and I told him, I said, I'm trying to raise $500,000 for our building, the Student Life Center. He said, Brother Zeckman, I'll take care of it. Well, I said, called him a name. I said, well, thank you. That puts me over a million dollars. I didn't share it with the students for a while. I still kept it. I kept that to myself. I shared it with some others. There was 300000 in cash and 330000 for the farm and 500000 That What was that? $1.1 million. 
I shared it with the students one day in chapel. I said, students, remember, I told you that God asked me to ask him for a million dollars. God supplied that need. It's not because of me, but it's because of the God that we serve. I believe in prayer tonight. I believe the God that we serve is able to meet your need. I believe the God that we serve is able to answer your prayer. I believe God, the God that we serve is able to save that soul that you're praying for. I don't know what all or that trouble that you're going through. I don't know what it might be. But James said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I challenge you, let's pray. I believe God wants to answer. Let's stand. Our Father, we thank you tonight for the privilege we've had to be together in your house. Lord, what we tried to preach tonight, we believe with our whole heart. I believe in prayer. It's the promise that you've given us. And that promise is that you, you're able to do all things exceedingly abundant above all we can ask or think according to the power that worketh within us. Lord, I pray that you'll help every individual here tonight. I have no idea what they're praying about. But you know, O oh God. You know the burden they're carrying. You know the soul that they're praying for. You know the need that they have they're praying about. You know the whole thing, O oh God. I pray that you'll challenge us tonight that we will earnestly pray. Yes, we'll pray with confidence, O oh God, knowing that we're right with you and right with our fellow man, knowing that it is your will. Lord, that we will pray specifically. We will pray persistently, O oh God. O oh, Father, I pray that tonight thou will help us to see the moving of God. May the glory of the Lord overshadow us. And Father, we'll praise thee. Let this message not only register in their hearts, but register anew and afresh in my own heart tonight. And we'll praise thee in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless your heart. You're dismissed.